Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Last time we were together, I asked you what brand had the first imprint on you. And you said Fortune Magazine. I mean, I was reading Mad Magazine. You were reading Fortune. But I'd like to ask you, is there another brand for young Tim Armstrong growing up Irish Catholic in a small town in New England? I'll, I'll give you like a random one is growing up. There's nothing more than I wanted to do than play in the NHL. I got to go on one trip to Canada and the only thing I wanted was Bauer skates because Bauer, in my mind, equaled the best people, the best hockey players. And we, I got a pair of Bauer skates. It was almost like Bauer skates, been Bauer brand for hockey, was gonna give me the turbo charge to go to the NHL. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Tim Armstrong, the founder and CEO of Flowcode, the number one next generation QR code provider with about half of the Fortune 500 companies as customers. If you think QR codes are not among your most exciting categories, then get ready to rethink that. Tim Armstrong is always working on what's next, and this company is no exception. Tim is a repeat guest on this show. I interviewed him way back in 2019 as one of my first guests. I first met Tim when I was the global marketing officer at P&G, and Tim was head of sales for a fledgling startup called Google. We formed a friendship then that has endured for 20 years. Tim famously left Google in 2009 to become CEO of AOL, which soon spun out from Time Warner and was eventually acquired by Verizon. Tim and his team launched Flowcode in late 2019 and in 2021 was named to LinkedIn's top 50 U.S. startups. This is my conversation with a guy whose wife calls him the Disney dad. Here's my friend, Tim Armstrong. Tim, welcome to the CMO podcast again. This is your second appearance. We recorded our first episode about three years ago to the day when this show was brand new. I went back earlier this week and listened to it. And honestly, it has stood the test of time. It is so, so good, so relevant today, so full of lessons, inspiration. And in that episode, I began it by saying, I consider you part son and part brother. <laughs> I, love, I love that. <laughs> and I still feel that I remember, way. I remember you said that. I feel the same way about you. And uh, you've been a big, big, uh, very big mentor, but, but more importantly, a very big challenger for me in terms of thinking about my life and what I, what I do, how I do it, those things. So um, thank you. But uh, and I, thank you for having me on again. Well, we're going to get into that your life and your priorities. We're going to start there, actually. I asked you three years ago in that podcast what you are looking forward to in the next 12 months. And this was, of course, pre-pandemic. We were in the studio together. And here's what you said. You said three things. The first one is you're really looking forward to your wife's documentary about ADHD, which back then was 
in process. The second thing is you were talking about this amazing team you were building, and you were so excited about what they would invent for the future. And this was a few months before Flow Code was launched. Yep. And then the third thing you said was you wanted to double down on a leadership habit to give more feedback and to get more feedback. Yeah. So, Tim, I'd like to start this podcast with what happened on those three things you were looking forward to. I know for a fact two of the three came to life, yeah. but I'd like you to, to talk about each one of them. So let's start with the documentary. The documentary, Jim, you know, I have ADHD and uh, my kids have it. And my wife became the central person who all of our neighbors and friends and she hooked up with some of the best doctors in the world. And she realized that everyone needed scalable solutions to ADHD. So she decided to do a documentary and I helped her a little bit within its launch. It's now one of the top documentaries right now in, on iTunes and, and on Amazon Prime. And the outpouring has been amazing. I mean, she has letters from all over the world. She was in Boston yesterday doing a screening. She's going to Chicago, Toronto. Um, they've had screenings in New Zealand. I think that piece of work for her is going to end up being one of the most meaningful things she's done in her life. But more importantly, I think what I've seen from the letters coming in, it's going to be the most meaningful thing that happens in a lot of people's families, which was exactly what her goal was, because we, we've struggled through it and the same way many other families have. And, and really ADHD, you know, it, it, people sort of know about it, but they don't know what it is. They don't know how to deal with it. And I think she's done an amazing job end to end of taking her experience, turning into something that's valuable for a lot of other people and being really unselfish about how she's been out there distributing it. And it's called the disruptors, right? Yes. It's called the disruptors and you can find it on Apple and Amazon and, and YouTube. You can yeah. find it anywhere. I went back. I, I, I must confess, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I watched the teaser, the three minute teaser. And I just thought it was, I'm going to watch it. It just drew me right in. In fact, I have my whole family home for this weekend during our recording. And we talked this morning at breakfast about ADHD, about where it is in our family. And I think all of us have a bit of it. I think my son has it the most extreme. And he's also, also by the way, highly curious, highly creative and, and in a great career. Uh, so I think it, it um, every family is touched by it and yep. it's misunderstood. And from what I got from the teaser, you sort of dispel that. I saw you in the teaser, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have an appearance. Yeah. You know, as you went through this with your wife, Nancy, and the whole process, and you yourself have dealt with this very, very successfully in your life. Did it make you think any differently about yourself and your family and how you have dealt with this and dealt with it, I think, uh, courageously and successfully. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a jungle gym, right? It's not a vertical, it's not a vertical path. Yeah. And I, I think, Jim, there's probably, you know, a couple of quick things that I've taken away from it. One is I wish somebody had made me watch the movie when I was 10 years old, mm -hmm. because I was probably like the most creative kid in every class I was in. And I was super high energy and, you know, in, in the rote school system, my personality and and level of drive and energy is not well received for good reason. There's there's 20 other kids in the classroom trying to learn at the same time that I'm trying to do five other curious things. And so I understand on the teacher's standpoint why it's hard and other students. But but I think for me, if someone had just grabbed me when I was 10 years old and said, look, this situation, the classroom situation, you're going to get a lot out of it. You like to learn those other things. 
there's probably a different life you're going to have after you get out of school. I sat through a lot of the interviews she did with Will I Am and Paris Hilton and David Nealman from JetBlue and Kenny Dichter from Wheels Up, all, all, the, all these well-known people, and they all have ADHD. And it's like if there had been an ADHD club when I was a kid, it would have made a big, um, a big difference. The second thing I learned, which was harder for me, because I, I grew up in a very Irish Catholic family, which was like you do everything the right way all the time. I was an altar boy, you know, all those things. And one of the things I have to be okay with myself is like, I'm going to make mistakes. And I made a, I made a lot of mistakes, um, you know, my whole career, my whole life, those things. But part of that is because of the way my brain works. And I have to accept ADHD is actually a superpower on some aspects and it's real kryptonite on others. And I have to be okay. That part of my life is going to have kryptonite. I'm a big person. I know you are, but focus on your strengths. And, you know, a lot of my life, I worried a lot about the kryptonite in my life. And the reality is I, it made me more acutely focus on what I need to do as a human. And that, you know, mother Teresa has a saying, if everyone took care of their own stoop, the whole world would be cleaned up. And so I think there was part of it for me was I was spending, always spending a lot of time trying to help everyone else out until I helped myself out and got focused on how to solve this. I couldn't be as effective helping everybody else. You know, I've known you now for about 20 years and I just feel like you have increasingly surrounded yourself with a team of people who compliment you. Yeah. And, yep. and I've tried to do the same. I'm not a, and I can do the detailed work. I can do the, you have to, if you have a career at PNG, you have to roll up your sleeves and write the share yep. summaries and j jump into the data and all that. But my strength is more conceptual thinking and vision and inspiration. So I've increasingly built teams around me that help me with the other part, which if I don't pay attention to, you know, that's not good. Yeah. Right. You, you yeah. need a well-balanced team and you need to be intentional and deliberate about that. And I think you've done really well in learning that in your life. Now, the second thing you said you were looking forward to was this amazing team you were building. And at that point, you said, I can't wait to see what they create, which is a beautiful thought. So let's look back at that statement, Tim, which was three years ago. Flow Code was not launched yet. And talk a bit about that team that you built, how it has evolved, what they have created. I, I would say, um, you know, I started the company with only two rules. One was the product is the team and the team is the product. And, and the second one was build a company that we want to work at. And those two principles of how we've run the company, by the way, it, it's how people get compensated. It's, it's, uh, how, what our hybrid rules are for work. It's who we hire, what skill sets. So we literally, I kept it that simple. And the reason is, Jim, is like when I took a step back in my career, you said something to me, by the way, that changed the whole course of my career. You'll remember when I said this is you said every brand is a direct reflection of the people who work on it. Mm -hmm. And I was at P&G headquarters with you and we were traveling on me with different teams. And you said, what did you notice today? And you, you made that statement to me and it stuck in my brain like Velcro. And so when I was starting the company, I thought if we're going to build a brand the brand is going to be a direct reflection of all the individual humans that work on it together and our customers and our partners, investors. But like it starts with the team. We do a lot of different stuff at the company that I've ever done before in my career, but it's all built around the one premise, which is I took what you said to me, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago as the truth. 
And in the rest of my career, I always tried to do that. But this is the first time I actually built the entire company on that premise. And it's been like the most incredible thing. And I would say we have the best culture and the best people I've ever worked with. And I've worked with great you know, people and teams. And um, But I would say, Jim, it's made all the difference in the world. I mean, forget about what we do for business and our strategy and all those other things. Our team has been able to build things together that would not have been able to get built in any of the other environments I was in before. We're going to come back to Flow Code in a few minutes about what's going on with your team now and what this company is and so on. But that was, um, it's a great principle to build a team, Tim, honestly. So the third thing you said, Tim, was doubling down and giving feedback and getting feedback. So how are you doing on that? Um, I'm doing pretty well, I think, actually. And the, the reason is, is a little bit back to the Mother Teresa is like, One thing I did when I started the company is I went back to ground zero on my own leadership. So like I, I went on a Friday from, you know, giant corporate job and, and private jets and flying all over and Davos meetings and all that stuff. And on Monday morning, I went to New York city to start my new company. And last time I spoke to you, I said, one of the things I decided to do was to take more of a sports or orchestra type coaching, which is, you go to practice every day and you get coached and you get feedback from the players, all those other things. So my company today, Flowcode or our company, I should say, I, we always have these things we call management minutes. I'm like, oh, stop, stop what we're doing. And it doesn't matter, by the way, if it's a senior person, junior person, they can give me feedback. We do an extreme amount of coaching every day. And at first it was uncomfortable. I had people pull me aside and say, Hey, can you give me that feedback one-on-one? And you always hear about it. And I said, yeah, I'll give it to you one-on-one, but everyone else here makes that same mistake and they're going to. And by the way, also, if you're open to getting feedback on the spot in front of everyone, people are going to know you're a better leader. Leadership happens in the open. It doesn't happen behind closed doors all the time. And so our, our environment is a wide open cauldron of creativity, execution, feedback, and and I think it's going. I think it's going really well. I mean, you asked my team, but I, I what, that's our culture. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story, because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Tim, I want to reflect again on the podcast we recorded three years ago. As I listened to it again, I was so, I mean, I know you well, but I was, I was again so impressed by how intentional you are with your life. You have a personal and professional mission statement which at that time you said you hang in your closet so you can look at every morning. Yeah, it's still there. You take time each day for thinking. You know, you walk, you meditate, you think a lot about the various roles in your life as husband, as son, as father, as friend, as team leader, as coach. How do you do this? How do you keep so intentional about your life and keep the discipline with that and keep it fresh and keep it, you know, creative? There's two aspects. I think one is I'm a big person on the average of five, which is you are who you meet, you are who you greet, and you are what you eat. And it's like anything that's going to hit your 
your your brain, your time, the people you hang around with, the, the thing, even down to what you read. Like, what are you what are you putting mm-hmm. yourself in front of? And I've gotten more and more disciplined on that over time. And then I spent a lot of time studying for me personally, what's the best system? So I use time boxing every night before I go to bed. I have a, I have a notebook. It's never a few inches from my face, but I, I, I sort of write down, you know, um, every day, like what my, what my priorities are, are for that mm-hmm. day. And Tim and showing me done. his book, by the way, for our listeners. Yes. So, um, so I would say that like the intentional methodical part I've tuned up. If you went back to me 10 years ago versus today, I'm uh, 400% more disciplined. And it's gotten to the point where I go to bed earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I stop drinking. Like I, I've changed my lifestyle dramatically. I'll tell you this, Jim, I've never said this before. I've said, said it to my wife, but like, I didn't know what, true happiness was until the last few years. And and I say that not in a corny way. I say it from a way that I've tuned all the things I do to so match what like my ability levels are and what they're not that I can honestly say that I've always had had a great childhood. I had a great career, you know, all those things. But like for me personally, you know, my door stoop that I try to take care of so I can help take care of other things. I like had a new level of happiness. And it sounds weird in the middle of like the, the pandemic and the bad economy and mm-hmm. all those things. And even if I have a bad day, like I had a bad day yesterday at work. Um, but the, the fact that I have a good day every day based on how my life is built, it makes the bad days not as bad. And it makes the good days more more in check that I know I still got to go to bed at nine and and get up at four. It has got me on our set of rails that is a you know much happier train for me to be on. If that makes sense. Tim, what was the catalyst for that? You've always been, I would say, an optimistic, positive, glass half full kind of guy. And I think you've been in things you've really enjoyed doing. I think you do seem happier than ever right now. You've always been intentional, I believe, with your time, but you're at a new level now. What was the catalyst? Was it a chat you had, an experience you had? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one. Uh, what what really drove it, and I'll tell you one quick funny story about it. But I I was an accidental CEO um, at AOL just because I I started at startups. I had my own company. I ended up going to Silicon Valley companies. Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. And you know, all of a sudden, I woke up and I'm like, oh my god, I'm the CEO of AOL. I realized at one point that like your time is valuable. So at one point when I was leaving Verizon with AOL, I thought like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, who's the person I want to be? Cause I had people calling me for other big jobs and CEO jobs and things like that. And I thought like, what do I want to really be in my life personally? And I wrote down, I designed basically, and I did a lot of study on this, like how do you design intentional steps. So I did that. And one funny Tom Brady story is I was at, um, I ran into Tom Brady at this pool. It's a long story, but I mentioned to Tom, I said, Tom, you know, I'm, I'm getting more intentional about how I'm living my life. And, you know, and, um, I'm going to, I was actually going to TB 12. I think the week after I saw him his training facility, I said, I'm mm-hmm. going to TB 12. I, I want to like learn how to get in better shape. And, you know, so he's like, all right. He's like, and I expected it to be like a quick conversation and Hey, good to see. You. And he's like, stops. He's like, well, what are you, what are you trying to, what are your goals and what are you trying to fix? And he was like, 
intention, you know, really like intense about it. And I was like, well, uh, let's start, like, let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. Like I'm fat, you know, so we, 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 we started having this, this conversation and, and what I took away from that though, which I've had in other situations and other people, his intensity level on that conversation in the way that he lives his life. And he, he describes some of the things he does health wise and things like that. I walked away from that. And I thought if I've been, had this career, which has been a great career, but I don't leave planet earth pushing myself to the limit of what I'm capable of. The combination of the stuff I read running into people like Tom and I woke up one morning and I thought, why don't I max myself out on planet earth? Like, what do I need to do to max my, not, not money, not, not this, not that, mm -hmm. anything, but like personally for me, how would I make myself the best I can be? And that's basically what the journey I've been on. Did that, uh, revelation in a way, uh, or that evolution, did that affect your personal and professional mission, which we talked about in the last podcast? Yeah, it did. Um, and you know, it just a summary of my personal mission again is, is that it's, basically professionally is to go find the most talented people I can on earth and give mm -hmm. them the best stage to show their skills to everyone. And I like our company, I call our company, the Yoda company. Like we're here to help all the Luke Skywalkers and Leah's be uh, amazing. And I feel like that's my personal job in life also is like, I'm a overweight six foot four Yoda, but, but that's, that's really how I think. You're not about overweight my, anymore. Too. My, no, my, my job. <laughs> I've lost a little bit of weight, but, um, so, so that piece, the second piece was to invest in my family and like be a better husband and be a better mm -hmm. dad. And I think if you like looked on the surface, you'd say, oh, you were doing a pr okay job of that. And I went on a, a snowshoeing a trip uh, uh, with David Fialco, who's a founder of General Catalyst. He said, can I ask you a question, Tim? I said, what? He goes, what's your plan for your wife? And I said, I said, what? And he said, what's your plan? And I see, he said, you've had this big career. Your wife is amazing. But like, how much time are you spending helping her and helping her think through her stuff? I said, well, I'm, I guess I'm kind of helping. He said, no, you're not. Yeah, you know, you're probably not. So, so I took 10% of my time and I went to my wife and said, I'm going to like, whatever I can do to be helpful. She knows, she knows all my kryptonite. So she's like, <laughs> when, I, when I offer my help, she's like, I only want some of it. But I helped to do the ADHD doc, which is really meaningful for mm -hmm. her. And the more meaningful for her, our relationship just improved and got better. And, and that was already good, but like it just, we have a different level of connection now over that. And then with my kids, the same way I get feedback at work, because I worked on myself so much, I started to start really working on them and be more of a coach than a parent. Um, and I think I was more of like a Disney dad before and I think my Disney dad, dadhood turned into more, I'm here to coach you. I'd say the one piece that I've still have not nailed, Jim, I have really good friends, but I have not nailed the friend thing as much as I want. Mm -hmm. So if I was giving mm -hmm. myself grading on my, on my personal mission statement, I'm, I'm still, um, I'm struggling less than I was, but my, I love working so much and I love my family so much, really carving out enough time for yeah. friends is probably where I have the biggest issue. Um, I'm in the same place, Tim. I mean, you're a public figure to some extent, I guess I am too. And we have a lot of associations. We have a nice network, but I'm, I'm also thinking about that as well. How do I want to spend my friend time? 
So maybe we can share notes on that. Well, I would love to. This is great discussion, Tim. I do want to get to flow code uh, because this is what this amazing team you gathered created. And last time we talked, you had the team. They were working on stuff direct to consumer, but flow code was, had not yet gelled and launched, and now it has. You launched it in 2019. So I'd like you to reflect a bit, Tim, on this product, this space, this team, this time in your life with this company, you do seem like you're in your zone. You're really happy. You're passionate about this. In my experience, you've always worked on sort of what's next. You've always been thinking about what's next. And this one, I think it's, it's, um, it's pretty remarkable. When I left AOL, I wrote down a list of what I thought the biggest problems were I saw in the world and at companies. I just, just for my own research, there were three things at the top of the list that I was super passionate about. One is that I thought infinite scroll was a black hole. And I thought unless, unless there's a solution for humans in the real world that's as exciting as the internet and the metaverse and all the things that were coming, the average person under 46 will spend roughly 1400 hours a year on their phone. And so that's, that's four months. And while there's a lot of benefits to the phone, the the thing that was driving me really nuts is like when you went to go talk to people about the most meaningful things in their life. Mm-hmm. I never had someone say, oh, man, that Instagram post I put up, that was the most meaningful. Like people say, oh, I was at this event. I saw my family. I did this. I did that. So I think one was like, is there technology that could get put in the offline world that would make phone usage intentional? And that 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 was number one. The second one was more um, challenging for me because I, I've been in some of the companies that help build some of these things. But I think that the, there's trillions of dollars that have gotten trapped in the middle of the economy. There's basically five companies that make up 24% of the market caps of the whole world, all the public mm-hmm. companies in the world, and they're the platform companies. I'm not sure everyone understands how much value gets incinerated in the middle of the marketplace between a brand and a consumer and the platforms in the middle. And they're great companies. And I worked at one of them and they're, they're like amazing. But if you go forward 10 years, I think the most unhealthy thing in the world could be all the human data and all the brand data getting incinerated in the middle of the platform economy. So I was like, what possibly could allow direct to consumer to take off where value money and data goes back out to the edges of the market. And as an example, one example, we, we do work with a lot of authors. Mm-hmm. Most of the authors have no idea who reads their books. And if you think about it, like probably all the platform companies know. They know that you read this book, you look it up, who's the author, the this, the bag. So they, boom, instantaneously, the consumer who really wants to know the author and the author, in many cases, don't have a connection. So I looked at the, the follower economy that needs to turn into the fan economy, which means you have a direct relationship um, with your fans and the money and energy should go to those edges. So Flow Code really was built out of those two main things, which is solve the infinite scroll problem by making things in the real world that are attractive and intentional and fast and help people out and make it more frictionless. And two is going back to my kind of personal mission statement is like, 
building the biggest stage for people that are talented means that they know who's at their show. They, they, they have access to the revenue. They have access to the data and, and oil, you know, data is the oil for the economy mm -hmm. for going forward. And I looked at what was happening. Even when I was running AOL, we were spending money on marketing that was going to the platforms. Platforms then take our marketing data, sell it to our competitors. Um, and then if I didn't spend on my own brand name, it, like, it was an infinite loop of lower return. And, and I think direct to consumer can solve a huge amount of that. Today, we build product that takes fans and brands and sticks them together and gives them all the data between the relationship. And we, we probably take a lot lower economic profile than the platforms do, mm -hmm. but I don't really, I don't really care. I mean, I care, I care. We want to make money and be a successful business, but I, I think doing that is so meaningful that we'll be able to figure out more and more ways to be a healthy business over time. So, Tim, you have a lot of partners and clients. I mean, about half of the Fortune 500, I think, that last time I talked to you is leveraging or using your, your technology. A lot of sports teams, sports leagues are. So could you give us just one live example of a company, a partner, an entrepreneur, whatever, who you think is yeah. leveraging flow code creatively and really effectively? There's companies like Sotheby's, the real estate company, mm -hmm. which... Um, they have an incredible sales force and they have incredible listings. And they built an incredible brand and they use flow code now across their marketing. They use it at open houses. Their agents use it for contact information. So if you think about it, um, Sotheby's without flow code is out in the world, meeting people, having people come to houses, events, talking to listing agents, all those other things. And Basically, the whole real estate business is online. So mm -hmm. all the great online companies in real estate captured the data. I went to see this house. I did this. I looked at the street maps. I did all that other stuff. So Sotheby's is providing all the human value that makes people want to buy houses and, and why you should trust them. But if I looked at the data that the online companies got versus Sotheby's, the online companies have a stack to the ceiling on real estate data and the Sotheby's person has a real lack of data in terms of like who they're interacting with. Sotheby's is the type of company that we've been able to go from them not having a massive amount of universal data and attribution data in the offline world to having a ton of it and then being able to start optimizing their business. You know, when do you do open houses? Who goes? How far away do they come from? Like all those things that the internet does really well, you know, we kind of bring to the offline, um, you know, world and sports, real estate, media. Mm -hmm. NBC is a great example. We'll be partners with NBC uh, TV and CNBC. And if you watch CNBC in the mornings, like our codes are up yep. um, on CNBC yep. and they do a good job. And so I think they've been happy with the outcomes from what's happened about them being able to connect with the audience. And look, Jim, I, you, you know this better than I do is while the online world and the metaverse and we do a lot of stuff with Web3 because the Web3 needs a front end to the real world. And we do a lot of stuff with that stuff. A huge amount of the economy, Stripe, the payments company just put out a thing saying 87% of the economy is still offline. And so yeah. we want to be the company that helps Sotheby's and NBC. And, and we have a lot of tons of small businesses use us. I, I want them to have an internet experience offline. I know you're a big believer in understanding a brand's headwinds and tailwinds and really trying to maximize the tailwinds. So could you share on Flow Code one headwind 
and one tailwind that you're very excited about? Yeah, I'll give you the, the biggest headwind. The biggest headwind is QR codes. One didn't work at first. Like you had mm-hmm. to have an app and, and that, that's, that was a major headwind until the pandemic of getting people to believe in QR. Because we, our business launched before the pandemic. So now people say, Good oh, timing. wow, the pandemic, amazing. You know, amazing. You know, I was like, wasn't that amazing? Because we were, had to go educate everybody. But so the, one of the headwinds is it's a very poor user experience right now. Our stuff, I think, is better, but like just in general, people think QR are like low value free um, mm-hmm. things. So, like one of the things we deal with is like it, it's almost like uh, before Starbucks, coffee was just a fifty cent commodity that you could get at any gas station, and so our job is to kind of decommoditize that space, and that's a hard headwind because like when you're used to seeing things that are really not awesome, when you try to make awesome in a not awesome space you know, you have to change consumer perceptions and brand perceptions. So that that's one. And the big tailwind, honestly, Jim, is I think our, when you go back to our team and the customers, because we spent so much time building a team that companies want to partner with, a huge tailwind for us is if like, if I can get our team in front of a company, they get themselves in front of a company or a partner and they work with us, Almost a, or a candidate we're trying to hire almost a hundred percent of the time. Every person calls me and says, Tim, your team is like, they're the best people we deal with. And part of the reason the best people deal with is our engineers have done a good job making our products easy to deal with. So like the whole food chain of building a great team creates an amazing tailwind because our team is so thoughtful. The customers can actually, they can feel it. And in a, in a sea of commoditized interactions in the business world, if you have a team that's able to stand out, I don't, I don't even know what, what you would call it or what the value is, but it really has made a significant, t- there's like a human tailwind I didn't expect. And mm. that's pretty amazing. Like I, 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 it's one of the things that like, I was just reading, um, let, you know, let my people surf the founder yeah. of Patagonia's uh, book. I, I read it like five years ago and I just picked it up to start reading again. And I think in that book, he talks a lot about the fact that they're the Patagonia clothing. People can feel the fact that it was done with TLC and, and the interactions with Patagonia are very like fit their brand. There's so many bad businesses in the world. And like, I think part of being a great business is fighting the, mediocrity of 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 business like I, I didn't realize what, earlier in my career that like fighting mediocrity was actually like a job description or a business description but i think it is i don't know if you feel the same way but it's like yeah i do i do things regress to the mean if you're not yeah. careful yeah and that's a leader's job right to keep to keep yeah. pushing that inspiring stretching in a way that's uh positive for people and they want to be a part of it I had breakfast with a you know sub segment of your team a couple of weeks ago in New York with you, and I could feel it. There's a there's a sense of teamwork, swagger, confidence. We're onto something new and important and big. And one thing, Jim, I, that I talk to our team about you about all the time, and this is a good example of you being Kobe Bryant. Is you and I think I brought this up in the last podcast. Is you ask people what your what your purposes, your personal purpose and your brand purpose. Mm -hmm. And that 
that's a different question than what's your business model? What's your revenue model? You know, and there's a set of commoditized questions you could ask, but the fact that you ask about purpose takes it from that's what, that's what decommoditizes brands is the stretching of getting to that. It's hard to have a purpose. By the way, if you have a purpose, you have to think. Yeah. You have to look at all your stuff of whether or not the purpose is is drilled into the brand and those things. Yep. And I think that's why you're, you know, Kobe Bryant of what you do is because your expectation bar is not the same as every other human being in the planet around brands. Yours is a level above. I I think that that is the toughest thing to do in business. Mm-hmm. because you can get a spreadsheet out, you can have all your tool online tools and your SaaS product, all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, if your brain's not stretched to purpose, you're going to undercut your business opportunity. That's just put plain. It's just, you're going to end up like everybody else. I love it, Tim. I love that principle. And, and absolutely. That's what I believe. You approach things in a very different way in and in a way that eventually has more meaning and impact on the people you serve and your own team and yourself. One more question on flow code. What's your greatest hope? I mean, you talk, it's really based on two big social insights. I mean, insights about society and the world at large. As you look out a few years down the road, what is your greatest hope? I mean, I'd be really disappointed. This is going to sound a little crazy, but I'd be insanely disappointed if we weren't all of our partners' best partner. Hmm. And if we're not, I'd be like, I'd be disappointed because I think that rolls downhill, meaning that like if we're, the, if we're the best partner for our partners, it means we have the best team. It means we have the best product. And number two is, I guess like a dream would be, I want, I want a consumer and I want a brand to tell, to tell us or tell me, tell our team that we change the dynamic of their relationship the relationship between one consumer and one brand became a, it went from follower to fan. And I, and I hope we can replicate that and that you can physically see it in the real world. I love that. Those are kind of nebulous, I guess, things, but like, I think about it that simply. And, and, uh, I, I think those are two really important attributes for our business, um, to get to. Tim, I hate to sort of get to the end of this, but I, w- I do want to move into the creative brief. And the first question I have is, you're a big reader. And you just mentioned you picked up the Patagonia book again. Is that what you're reading now? Is there something else you'd recommend to our listeners? You know, I'm, uh, I'm reading a mixture of different things right now. But like I'm reading this one book, uh, Thinking Better, which is written by an um, Oxford mathematician that talks about the shortcuts you can use with math to figure things out faster. It's a very interesting book. It's slightly dense on the math side, but it's interesting. I just read an incredible book called Tunnel 29, which is the people who built the tunnels under West Berlin, East Berlin to West Berlin at that time um, period. And that, if you like history, um, that is something that's... um, a great reminder that during the course of the world, things happen and humans persevere. Um, I just read this book, Jump, which is by the president of um, the 
Michael Jordan brand, Larry, Larry mm. Miller. Yeah. I, I, I kind of knew who he was. I didn't know his backstory, but he was in prison for like eight years right. or something. And just like an amazing, I just happened to pick it up. There's a bookstore down the street from my house that I love. The woman suggested that they know me down there because I buy so many books. But here's one lesson from this book. You can get through anything in life. And tomorrow could be your most successful day. You read this book and you're like, if this person can get through life and do what he did, anyone can do anything. And I have one more book uh, recommendation for you guys. There's a guy named uh, Dogon who, it's a long story, but we sort of uh, adopted him as a family, Rwandan refugee. He ended up going to NYU. He just wrote a book um, uh, called the, the diamonds we throw away. Um, and it's a, it's a story of his personal story and journey. And, um, that, that book is an amazing life story about overcoming challenges. And he, he's one of the most incredible humans I've ever met, but fantastic, Tim, but I, I read a lot. Yeah, obviously. Let me ask you a question. If you have two minutes is what do brands in the world today do with all, I feel like this is one of the largest time periods of like giant global headwinds, China, mm-hmm. Ukraine, those things, uh, headwinds in society of all the things that have happened with the racial divide and economic divide. And then there's like a headwind of like how humans are interacting with social and media and all those things in general. Like what, if you were describing, what do you think the headwinds and tailwinds for brands are just macro level? What do you think they are? Funny, Tim, I think the headwinds and the tailwinds are the same. I think the headwinds are all the things you're describing, which are very tough and and seemingly intractable issues and problems. I think the, in many cases, the institutions best set up to solve those problems are brands and companies. And I think stepping up and finding your voice in the world now and finding the space that you can make a difference in and, 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 you know, doubling down on your purpose, you know, a great purpose is something that you do for the people you serve day in and day out. It doesn't have to be a high minded social thing. It's about a bit of joy in your daily life, or it's helping a a, a person solve a problem faster or more simply. But I do think the, the number of unbelievable leaders we have in business who have the right set of values and the right priorities and the right courage can solve many of these headwinds that we are in the middle of. So I think yeah. it is the era of brands stepping up. It is the era of business solving problems. It is it is a time for courage. And and I think if we if business doesn't do it, it's not going to be, look at the look at global warming. I mean, for yeah. governments to get together to solve that, it ain't is not going to happen. What yeah. will happen is the great companies of this world embracing that tackling it because it means something to people it means something to the planet and we will make progress because businesses will make progress totally i totally agree with that um and one final thing you went on a similar journey to me where you were in a giant uh mm-hmm. you know big job at a big company and started your own company and and done all the things what what did what did you personally change in that journey I went through a lot of the same sorts of things you talked about earlier in this podcast, Tim, a lot of reflection, a lot of interviewing, a lot of talking to people who are important to me about their life and my life and thinking about my time much more carefully, thinking about my happiness. 
And, and I had, I had some helpers in this. I had a coach and I really came to the point of view that I am most happy. I mean, this is sort of duh. I am most happy when most of my time is spent on things that leverage my strength that I'm passionate about and that give me energy. So I try to construct a life of activities that fueled that on the personal and professional side. And, and the answer to that was not another big company. I mean, I I left P and G my personal equity in business was extremely high. I had many, many different opportunities and places I could go. I remember that. Yeah. But I, I said, and I turned down a few things that my kids were like, dad, (laughs) what's wrong? But it was, I, I wanted to teach. I wanted to write. I wanted to think, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to take, I wanted to take this concept of brand purpose and, yeah. and and take it to a new level and to make it the, the language of business and to eventually get to KPIs on purpose that every board reports on. We're not quite there yet, but that's one one personal area of passion I'm working on right now. Yeah. So that was it, Tim. I, I kind of did the reflection to say, what do I love? When am I my, at my best? What's important in my life? And let's build a life around that. And it's never over, right? It's never done. Right. It's never over. It's over. But, but it's also, I think, one lesson that I learned from you watching you and other, other people have done the same thing that you mentioned a word earlier, courage. I, I, it's okay to have the courage to do that. I think that's a, that's a big, it's a, it feels like a big step, but once you do it, you understand why it's powerful. Absolutely. Tim, last question. Yeah. I'm going to end where we started. I listened to our last podcast. I listened to what you said you were looking forward to in the next 12 months. We talked about that. Now, as you look out the next 12 months, what are you looking forward to? On the personal front, my kids are all starting their journey towards independence, college, you know, those things. And I'm um, super interested just to see how they progress because they're kind of in that, I don't know what you call it. There's like a decision-making time in your young 20 when you're kind of like starting to think about the world. So it's kind of funny to watch them. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested in 12 months to see if their radar for what they're going to do gets stronger or weaker in certain areas, that, 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 that's one. My, I mean, my youngest daughter is a very good singer. She's singing the national anthem at this. We're involved with this group called the children of fallen Patriots, which we've been involved with for a long yeah. time that uh, gives resources to people who lost their families serving the country. And my daughter's singing the national anthem in uh, two weeks. Oh, so wow. I'm like, out of all the highlights I've thought about this year, that's probably like, oh, a, wow. that's, a, that's a really big one. She's a great singer. And then the, um, on the professional side, it's, you know, Jim, I think we're at a point as a company where we have an amazing group of people, amazing customers. And now like we're, we're sort of big enough now that we need to like keep, we have to take the next step and I want to do it, take the next step without making the company a normal company. That's why I'm reading the Patagonia book again right now. And those things, I'm going to be leaning on you for those things, but I would like to build the smallest, largest company that like is still meets those two goals we talked about, you know, the product is a team, the team is a product and build a place we want to work at. And I, I'm like trying to figure that out now with the board of directors and my team. And, and, um, I don't know, like that, I, I'd be really disappointed if we don't have that same mojo 12 months from now. And I feel like me, my personal responsibility as a leader is like, I'm kind of like the mojo. I'm not the, I'm the, the team creates the mojo. My job is like the Yoda mojo person mm-hmm. to like, make sure everybody, the, the Luke's and Leah's and all those people, the, the superheroes in our team and customers have a good experience. 
Well, that gives us a follow-up chat to have, Tim, after this podcast. So we'll make another date. Hey, um, last time we were together, I asked you what brand had the first imprint on you as a young kid. And you said Fortune Magazine. I mean, I was reading Mad Magazine. You were reading Fortune. But I'd like to ask you, is there another brand for young Tim Armstrong growing up Irish Catholic in a small town in New England that had an early impact on you? I'll, I'll give you like a random one is growing up. There's nothing more than I wanted to do than play in the NHL. And I used to play hockey all the time. And my dad, we didn't have tons of money. And we used to like drive to hockey rinks at 5 a.m. And I got to go on one trip to Canada growing up. And the only thing I wanted was Bauer skates because Bauer, in my mind, equaled the best people, the best hockey players. And we, I got a pair of Bauer skates in Canada on this trip. We drove up to Canada and then, and then drove back. And I just remember that brand for me being the most authentic. It was almost like Bauer skates when Bauer brand for hockey was going to give me the turbo charge to go to the NHL. And in reality is that was never going to happen. So I, even to this day, when I say Bauer skates, it brings back those memories, which is brands. You don't, you don't have to go play in the NHL with brands. You just need to have the, the, the belief and purpose, as you like to say, that my relationship with this brand is going to allow me to achieve something as a human. Um, and I believed it. I still do. If you told me you gave me a pair of Bauer skates, I'm like, yeah, I'm 51. Man. I could still, you know, maybe I could get out there. I love it. Tim, thank you for this conversation. I mean, it was personal as I knew it would be insightful, inspiring, and just plain fun. So thank you. Great to see you again. That was my conversation with my friend, Tim Armstrong. Three takeaways from this one for your business, brand, and life. And the first one is, you are who you meet, greet, and eat. I love Tim's philosophy around that. We talk so much in this podcast about being intentional in your life, about how you spend your time and the impact you want to make. And I just love Tim's little motto, you are who you spend time with, you are who you meet, greet, and eat. Second takeaway, fighting mediocrity as the key role of a leader. Tim talked about how many businesses are sort of not very good. They're kind of complacent. And a key role of a leader is to create a company that is very special, that is unique, that makes a difference in the world. That's what he's trying to do. And I think he's doing it so far brilliantly. Third takeaway, I love all the discussions we had with Tim about the culture at Flowcode. I love the management minute where they stop, they take a minute, they give each other feedback, they have a discussion about what they're doing. I loved his thought about the product is the team and the team is the product and how he wants, as he looks out into the future for Flowcode, he wants his team to be the best partners for their customers of all the people they work with. It's a great ambition. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.